and welcome to Detest This, the Detester podcast. And today I have organized a podcast with the Youth Climate Change for Action with Regina and then also podcast host Melanie from Asia Attitudes. Would you guys please like to introduce yourselves and give a bit of background information? We can start with uh, Regina. I'm sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Regina Huerta. I'm the president and co-founder of Youth Climate Action Coalition Latin America. Um, I live in Mexico and I'm 17 years old. I'm really excited. Thank you. Um, my name is Melanie Hong and I'm the producer and director of Asiatitude. It's a French podcast about Asian in France. So it's the first podcast talking about uh, the people of France who are from Asian cultures and countries. And it aims at fighting against stereotypes, discrimination, and highlighting the diversity of French Asian. Hi, my name is Huan Chen. I'm the founder and executive director at the Tester Magazine, an international youth-led nonprofit dedicated to empowering youth of color and amplifying intersectional advocacy through creative mediums We hope to promote racial solidarity, shed light on issues that affect different people of color communities, and share their experiences to diversify the stories in our world. Okay, Um, before we jump into a bit more of an in-depth question, I know that we just went over a bit of where organizations were, but what exactly is your role in the organization when you first started, and what issues do you guys specifically advocate for? more in-depth, um, Okay, so YCC Latin America stands for Youth Climate Action Coalition Latin America, and we are a youth-led group from across Latin America and the Caribbean that aims to promote environmental awareness and sustainability by informing and educating all young people in our region about environmental conditions. Our mission is to advocate and educate for fighting climate change in Latin America and empower future environmental leaders to develop Um, effective and sustainable climate policies. Uh, We really just wanted to create a safe space for all people in Latin America that feel um, they can't have a voice or they are not recognized in other spaces because of where they live or their ethnic background. So that's one of our main purposes. So does your organization mostly include just people from around Latin America? And how do you get in touch with these people? Yeah, we, we work with everyone from Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, most of our countries speak Spanish. There's just one country that speaks Portuguese and um, there's several countries that speak English too, like as a recognized first language. So communication has been very challenging for us. We communicate with them through Discord. Um, we have a Instagram, we do have a website and we do several meetings with them, but definitely the language barrier has been um, something we haven't had in mind that much. So that's why we have a translation team. And in a translation team, we have people that speak English, that speak um, Spanish and that speak Portuguese to make sure that everyone is able to understand our content and just making it more available. I feel like for us, for the test organization, all of us got into the organization based on speaking English. So I can't imagine what it'd be like for a translation team and all of that. That seems very, very crazy. Yeah, um, that was very interesting, uh, Regina. And as for me, for the podcast Asiatitude, um, well, we have several goals. I think the 
the main of them are fighting against stereotypes, discrimination and racism. Because in France and I think maybe all over the world, um, it happens that Asian um, people are uh, need to fight against racism because they are victims of uh, aggressions or attacks um, just because people are, are ignorant and, and think that every Asian people are Chinese and China is now you know the main country of, of COVID and that's that's a real a real problem um, so this is one of our goals uh, fighting against stereotypes and racism and another, another one and very important in France is the representation of Asian people because there is quite none in France uh, we can't see Asian people in uh, the theaters in the cinema in the media in the press there is no Asian people uh, so it is very important for, for us uh, to, to show the light uh, on Asian because there are a lot of Asian in France since the 70s. Um, Vietnamese, Chinese, Cambodian, a lot of Asian from the East, the Southeast, and even in uh, Japanese, there are a lot of, of Asian and we, we need to talk about them and to have uh, someone representing them. So we need, we give we give the voice to any Asian, uh, any age, any gender. Uh, we have um, uh, a goal of inclusivity too. And we want to give the, the voice to all of them to show that we are diverse. Yeah, I would say that in the previous like context of just COVID and all the protests that have been going on in America, I feel like it's much heavily centered on like America and the States. but a lot of the racism that is occurring is actually much of it in Europe and all around the world, in fact. So I'm very appreciative of what your work is doing. I think another question that we all can agree upon is what exactly makes these youth initiatives so powerful and these online organizations, these podcasts? What do you guys think is very important about your own organization and why is it so touching and able to reach out to such a large community? I think for YCC Latam, one of the main things that makes our initiative so powerful is the unity and the will to make a change because our region is very impacted by climate change and more affected than any other region in the Western area. And also like in the entire world um, because of the biodiversity of our countries. Um, we are the region with most biodiversity in the whole world and it's the one that it's not being treated correctly. Um, we're living through that right here and right now. We're going to be destroyed due to the lack of representation and consequently the lack of action. Um, we don't get to be seen and the problem, even though it's happening everywhere, it's happening in an astronomic, astronomical level here. And here we live through this hard condition and we see that our governments are not taking action um, and it's frustrating. And that's why we all get united and we're all very passionate about it um, because Coming from a developing country and seeing everyone that is going through the same thing as you instantly creates a bond with them. So that's what makes us so united. And I think that's one of the best things about our organization. The way that we come from different backgrounds, even though we're still the same and we get connected by our region similarities. Yeah, I think one thing that we can all agree on is the fact that youth initiatives are created from perhaps a lack of acknowledgement by the upper hand or the upper authority. The government does not listen or is not doing nearly enough. And I think that's why youth initiatives are so powerful because like Regina said, we all have this common goal of just getting people to listen and spreading a message. Totally agree with that. 
Yeah, and I think for the podcast, it's it's quite the same um, um, because the podcast um, in France, maybe in other part of the world, but it's really a media of the people. I mean, it's not coming from someone who decided to to do it um, from the top. It's really from the people, so it's very powerful because a lot of people recognize in uh, the subjects we talk about and I think youth initiatives are very powerful because all the youth now um, feel the need to talk to express themselves and they don't have um, not the right but they don't have the possibility to do it in the mainstream media and sometimes in the podcast or YouTube or you know the social media it's easier and we take we take the voice and we don't wait for someone to give us and that's something that is very powerful in in this kind of initiative and i think the podcast is also something um really uh, not young but uh, a lot of young people use it because it's very accessible everyone can listen to it and it's free um, so that that's maybe something that is very uh, powerful too. Yeah, I agree. I think for platforms like TikTok, I'm assuming we all go on it and you love it. Um, a lot of the things that are not usually talked about by upper representatives or authorities, like politics, Joe Biden, all these things are talked a lot about like on TikTok. A lot of these movements are started on TikTok and on social media. I think that that's another reason to show how the youth are actually actively taking more and more into their own hands and bonding from that and doing more from that than we ever could have. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, many youth initiatives benefit from the accessibility of the digitalized world in which people from around the globe can be connected as they navigate through the internet. Gen Z and the generation that comes after us are groups of young people who grew up with knowledge of the online world. We know how to use the power of the internet to spread information and build relationships with each other. And the tester is a good example of how youth are able to communicate with each other and share ideas in a way that transcends geographical and cultural boundaries. We began as a digital platform and in the midst of the pandemic, we started to grow and have continued to because more people have transitioned to digital mediums and digital activism has also gained more influences. And because we know how to best use the power of the online world, we are able to further our work and generate change. And what also comes with interconnectedness is the possibility to be exposed to a diverse cohort of people who inspire each other to think from different standpoints. At Tester, uh, we have an international team of students of color who come from various countries from around the globe. And we celebrate the diversities in our backgrounds because it allows us to bring a spectrum of voices to the table. And as a team led by youth of color, we understand the importance of representation, inclusivity, and equality. Yeah, I totally agree. I think when I was scrolling through the Detester page, as I do very often, one thing I really like is just like the constant Instagram stories about like pop quizzes about things mm -hmm. like feminism and like pop culture and also like very important issues like sexual assault. All these things are very interactive, but like in a very unique way, which I really appreciated. Another thing to note is that how has your guys' per like personal cultural background, your own experience kind of 
in that region, in France, in Latin America, in Mexico, how has that changed your perspective on the world or local issues? Because I think the way that we kind of perceive like climate change, it might be like a broad group of broad range, but it very is like specific for like, regions as well as racism and Asian American or like Asian French, Asian European discrimination. So how has that impacted you and your own cultural background? Yeah, as you mentioned, climate change is something that is going through um, all the world. It's not just happening in one region. Um, and we all got to work for it. But definitely um, how it works is going to depend a lot on the region. In Latin America, we don't have the same rules um, you have in Europe or they have in, um, in the United States. So um, it definitely has a big impact on our organization. And that was actually one of the main reasons we decided to create YCCLATAM. My co-founder, Marina, and I um, we're both really into, you know, seeing what we could do. And we were working with all these U.S. organizations and about climate change and just environmental justice in general. But there were things we couldn't really relate to or we couldn't do because they're not used to in our country. Um, there's no policies about it. Like, um, I remember there was kind of a thought like, go to your local um, government and just ask for an interview about the policies of environmentalism and my country and for example Marina from Brazil that does not happen we don't have that kind of policies so um, it was definitely something that was an eye-opener about how things work very differently depending on where you live even though Mexico is just um, it's very close to the United States it's in the border um, so with this initiative, we wanted to create a space that was exactly focused on how things work in Latin America. And also, um, according to the culture, uh, according to pe how people live in our, um, conditions here. And so that with this, more people could join this initiative and more people will help us raise awareness. Yeah. I think one is one thing that I find really interesting is that I live in Taiwan and I've moved here. I've been here for around five years. And one thing that I was surprised at when I first came here is that we had like a huge recycling system for everything. Like in each classroom, there is paper, you know, plastic, you know, aluminum, others. And we had a very like stringent and rigid system about where things should go, where should we recycle these things. And although that doesn't have like the biggest relation to climate change and what we could do, I find it very interesting that Taiwan is like very sustainable and has tried to become more sustainable. And you can see that in the school system. Um, I don't know what that looks like in Latin America and in Mexico. Do you care to like describe more about what you think you see? Yeah, that actually happens a lot um, here. Like for example, I have been blessed enough to go to a private school, even though private schools don't work the same here as they do in, for example, in the United States. They're kind of a little bit more accessible. Um, but anyways, um, when you get to a private school, um, you do get this type of things, you know, about maybe a recycling bin in the um, classroom or just teaching you how to separate your trash. But when you go to a public school, which is almost the entire population in Latin America, you don't get this type of knowledge. They don't teach you this because it's not included in the study plans because the government actually doesn't care. So it's something that definitely happens and I'm pretty sure it happens in a lot of regions of the world too and just type of things that maybe seem so tiny but that are very important like teaching young kids at a very um, important age of their life how to be sustainable or how to recycle um, it's very important and that's why our main advocacy is education just 
um, sharing the knowledge with people that um, can afford it or don't have the opportunity to have it. Um, so we can all just get together. But yes, things like that definitely happen a lot. Oh, yeah. And as for Melanie, do you have any specific like influences that you see in France about you know, particular environmental policies that you would like to discuss on? When you think about climate change and environment in the global level, uh, it's also really linked to colonization and racism. So we, we also talk about it in, in our podcast. As for you, what do you think that your experiences as an Asian person living in a European country, living in France, how has that affected your organization and your podcast? I think it had a big impact because it's mainly my cultural background and my personal background um, which made me decided to create the podcast. Um, I was born in France, in Paris, and I always felt French, only French. I, I even didn't, um, I wasn't aware that I was Asian. It could be very strange to say that, but, but in France, we really have this culture of everyone, everyone is French. Um, it's not really like in the United States where you have um, the communities and everyone can say, uh, I am Latina, I am Asian, etc. In France, everyone is French. And I had to wait until my 20s when I was um, in an internship in China. And I just realized that I was also Chinese <laughs> because everyone in China said to me, oh, you're from China. And I said, no, I didn't speak Chinese and I just speak French and English. So I just realized when I was 23 that I was um, also Asian and it has a big impact on me because I didn't know where I, who I was. And I'm talking about, about that because a lot of people in France um, feel the same. They feel French first, and sometimes they feel French all their life, and they didn't even speak about the Asian culture with their parents. They ignore this part. And when I realized that, I tried to reconnect with my Asian attitude or Asian origins, and that's how I begin to I begin to to be interested in this culture and discuss with my parents and and I connected with other Asian in France, what I didn't do before. And that's how I decided also to create the podcast because uh, as I said, there is nothing about Asian in France. And it's crazy. It's crazy that uh, the, the podcast we created last year is the first in France. So yeah, I just felt it, it was necessary. And this came from my cultural background, but I think it's the same for a lot of other French Asian. I think some similarities I just see, even though I think that what our experiences as Asians in predominantly white or Western countries is fairly different. I think growing up, I had this sense of just wanting to fit in. Like I didn't really want to or have time to like learn. Like I'm also Chinese, like my parents' culture. And I didn't really, I was sent to Sunday school to learn, you know, Chinese language. I never picked it up too fluently. And now in Taiwan, where I'm surrounded by Taiwanese people, um, other Asian people that speak very fluently, there are some times where I feel like out of place and I feel very like, you know, sad that I couldn't have connected more. But I feel like in the sense, I'm very fortunate to still be able to connect and still have like parts of my culture that I don't feel ashamed of anymore. Living in a very Asian 
area, Taiwan. So I totally do agree, and I really. Yeah. And you have yeah. two cultures. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a richness. So just starting off with a little bit about my background, I used to live in China until the age of nine,、um, and I moved to the U.S. Currently living in New York City, and I know how it feels like to be a majority in a homogenous population, and how it is like to be a minority and be affected by racism. I go to a predominantly white high school, and I didn't really see myself reflected in the classroom. In my community, I've seen how immigrants of color who don't speak English lose the power to defend themselves because, in the face of discrimination, injustice, and unfair treatment, they are powerless, and the system doesn't listen to them. As an immigrant myself, I feel the responsibility to highlight the voices of these marginalized communities. And aside from that, I also notice how many of my Asian peers. Um, in my community and in my school, were hesitant about becoming involved in protests, walkouts, and strikes. Although it's frustrating to see the lack of concern coming from my peers,、um, their inaction on pressing issues actually played a huge role in the creation of the tester.、Um, I was interested in drawing political cartoons, and my initial idea was to find a space where I could. Just use art to raise awareness on issues affecting my community and inspire my peers to do so.、Um, but I wasn't able to find an initiative like this in my community, so the tester was born.、Hmm. I think I kind of can relate to you on the sense that yes, I was also an immigrant, but、um, something that also is very unique、um, personally is that when I did move, I moved to Taiwan, and therefore, like the whole entire like cultural background shifted in the sense that. Where I was in the same like position as you earlier on in my life, where I was surrounded by predominantly white people, it was just a very white community. I didn't have enough like mental like awareness, I think, because I was very young to truly understand like what kind of role this plays and just how different I am and how that is going to affect me in the future. But before I could understand that, I moved to Taiwan, and here I think that while we are pretty progressive in the school that I'm in, which is A bilingual school. I still felt that I needed a, like a bigger chance to speak out, and that's why I came to the tester. So I totally relate to you on that. Yeah, like I feel like your experience really resonates with me as well. Like I feel like we have like similar backgrounds, so it's like the reverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that totally makes sense. Yeah, but I think it's very interesting to see how it plays out because in the end, we still both are vying for the same things. Hence. Um, you creating the tester and me joining the tester, so it's very interesting.、Uh, another question: How has your advocacy work through your organization expanded, or like altered your future outlook on different progress? So, for example,、um, things like climate change policies or like racism addressments or like policies in the future. How has your organization or your podcast kind of shaped what you would like to see in the future for change? Yeah, like I just think that working with other passionate young people like you <laughs> at the tester is like it always an opportunity for me to educate myself、um, because I'm always expanding my worldview just by listening to what other people around my age have to say,、um, and sometimes they represent a different opinion. And by learning more about like their voice、um, and like about social justice through this journey, I've seen myself grown a lot. 
intellectually, and it has been a rewarding experience to see the impact we have on other people. On another note,、um, I had zero experience running any organization prior to the tester, so it was a lot of like working trials and errors to find、um, how we can improve the team. And I see myself having the responsibility to make sure that we are incorporating inclusive, intersectional activism, and that we are always pushing for better representation.、Mm. I totally agree with that because. I can only imagine how like hard or how challenging it was to start an organization as well. But I think I can relate to you on the fact that、um, we grow up in like a lot of very like similar communities, and in the sense that we are only exposed to one certain ideology, one cultural norm. So I think it's very important for those who do not have the chance to experience that to like go to other means. Hence. How I feel very very welcomed in this detester community, and feel that I can learn more as a global citizen, whereas previously I would have been exposed to maybe one or two different cultures, but now it's a lot more. So, exactly like one of the things I appreciate about the team is that we are all like unified by a shared goal to make change, even though we come from so many you know different ethnic, cultural,、um, nat nationalities.、Um, And I feel like just like what you're saying,、um, it, it feels like I'm really honored to hear because that's exactly what we are trying to do. I think it's just really uplifting, and the fact that we have so many、um, youth organizations today, and two more joining us in this podcast, is just just one of the tokens of this globalized and very motivated Gen Z society. So、um, as I have mentioned a lot of times,、um, our main focus is、um, education.、Um, so seeing,、um, being one of the co-founders and seeing this from the beginning, I definitely can see how our, organiz our organization has been growing and has evolved.、Um, I remember the first time we started, we started with a just minimal post with about a very important environmental issue in Brazil, and it had like ten views and. Right now, we have a newsletter. We have a website. We post almost、um, every day, so I can definitely see more people engaging、um, with our content, and most importantly, more people are seeing what we want them to see. Seeing them, seeing like for example,、um, Joe Biden wants to sign a treaty with、um, Brazil's President Bolsonaro, and people in Brazil are very mad because they. Um, agreement is actually very bad, and it's going to destroy the Amazon. And we kind of made、um, a post about that, and it kind of we had a lot of feedback about it.、Um, we really saw that new people were seeing all these problems, and they started、um, like commenting, "Oh my God, I didn't know this. Oh my God, how can I be helpful?" or something like that. And it has definitely been very good to see. Um, people accept our content and people be more involved in what we are and what our、um, focus is. Yeah, I feel like education is probably one of the main goals of all these organizations, these podcasts. Because I would like to look back in the like in the past, and I think a lot of people don't didn't really understand the criminal justice system. They didn't understand systematic racism and all these things, and maybe we still don't. But I think the important thing is is that at least for me personally. Looking at all these posts and 
watching like listening to all these podcasts has really helped me learn a lot more about these issues that I didn't know were so important and I didn't know played like such a large role in you know different minority groups different you know marginalized areas so I really appreciate them and I appreciate your work as well Thank you. Yeah, it definitely means a lot to hear that people um, are actually investigating about different problems. Like, uh, for example, right now, I didn't know about the lack of Asian representation in France. And now I'm getting really interested hearing Melanie's point of view. So things like this and just um, everything that we do, like, for example, as an organization and you as a podcast, definitely enriches um, everyone because we get to know a lot about different types of problems around the world. Yeah, and it's interesting to see the, the common the common goals. <laughs> um, yeah, on my part, what I can see as a future outlook is two things. Both are related to representation. The first one is to is to impact our listeners who are Asian as as me. Um, Asian French people uh, who listen to the interviews, um, who learn about the backgrounds of our um, host or uh, interviewees. Um, we want them to feel that they can do anything in their life, like become an artist, become a photographer, become anything they can, just because they hear that some Asian French have done, have done that in their life. And that means it empowers them to do something they didn't even dream of because they didn't see that they could do it without representation. And I know that for my from my experience, um, that before I saw the first Asian French uh, on TV, I didn't I didn't know that I needed a representation. Uh, I didn't realize that I just identify myself as white. And when I saw an Asian, I said, oh, she looks like me. So that means that I can be an actress or I can be something else. And I didn't mention it before, but uh, before be becoming a podcast producer, I was a lawyer. And that's really because I thought I just could this kind of job, like lawyer or doctor. And the podcast aims at showing everyone that you can do anything you want. Uh, by the representation, with the representation with uh, our interviews, and the second goal I hope we can we can achieve in the future is that for listeners who are non-Asian, who are not Asian but white or black or uh, anyone, um, listen and educate themselves, um, maybe to become an ally or to stop doing. Uh, or thinking about stereotypes because some racism for me is not um, is not intentional most of the time it's ignorance it comes from ignorance so if they listen to the podcast and listen about the experience of French Asian um, victims of racism they can say oh wow I did that before and I didn't know that had this impact so this is the second goal we aim um, educate uh, and empower. I think that one thing is that most of the burden of minorities or not the burden or what we should be doing is being very outspoken about our struggles, about our history, about what we face. 
especially in representation in the media, I know that the Latin American, like the Latin community or like the Latinx community and Asian communities have been falsely or very offensively represented on media. And it feels terrible when you see that. And uh, in recent years, I feel like it has been become at least less normalized. At least we can call out racist interpretations and call out racist directors, but that doesn't mean that it still doesn't exist, like I said before. So I really appreciate your work and your like, like spot on pinpointing of like, I think what we could do better about what other others could do better. Because I think when I was growing up, I didn't see a lot of um, Asian princesses. I didn't see a lot of, you know, people who look like me, especially because I lived in suburban New York. So it was very white. And I always felt that, I mean, I felt the stereotypes being placed upon me. And even though people would say that, oh, Asian stereotypes are usually very good. Like you're good at math. Why would you not be proud of that? I feel like that's also harmful because what if you're an Asian that's not good at math? What if you're an Asian who doesn't like, you know, or doesn't fit into current backgrounds? That kind of feeling of not fitting in is something that is just as harmful, like even if it is a good stereotype as well. So I definitely agree with that. It puts a pressure on the person that is not good at math, but for the person who, are, who is good, she or he would just think it because it, he's Asian and would have no merit. So both of them would be, um, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I think stereotypes definitely play a very important role um, in all of this. Like, for example, as you were mentioning, the thing about being the smart Asian and right now with the COVID situation, um, the stereotypes of being, um, you know, the, um, the COVID creator or whatever are very, very bad. And it happens to everyone's races. Like uh, you, you hear from a Latino or you see a picture of a Latino, it's always a bad guy drinking a beer or something like that. And there's also sometimes good um, stereotypes, but there are still stereotypes. And I think one of the main things that we need to do to stop this is just keep educating. I think let's move on to a bit more of a personalized questions about um, each and every, like your organizations. So for YCAC Latin, what role does the youth have in Latin America in terms of climate change in your opinion? I know we went over this a little bit earlier, but I think in terms of Latin America, um, based on what you said, things seem very like underdeveloped and that is why like the youth has come together and bonded together. Do you have anything more to elaborate on this? Um, okay, so here in Latin America, we're all developing countries. Um, we don't have technology. Our um, countries are poor, are full of corruption, full of violence, full of sexism. So it's very difficult to be um, an environmentalist or advocate about anything you want um, because you're always going to be, you know, judged. Oh, why are you doing this? This is not important, like, um, and whatever thing. But it's not like um, regarding climate change. Um, Latin America has the most diverse ecosystem in the entire world, and it's not being protected. There's kilometers of the Amazon being burned every day. There's thousands of tons of plastic in every single one of our beaches. And our environment is in danger due to um, external organizations. There's a lot of organizations from other countries or just um, enterprises that come here and make their factories here because we don't have any policies um, regarding um, pollution or contamination of water or stuff like that. And I think it's in the hands of the youth to bring awareness to this situation and make our voices 
compared um, to every single person in the entire world because um, we live in a region in which our parents or our grandparents did not receive any type of environmental education and people that go to um, public schools are not receiving um, this type of education or it's very, 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 very minimal. And so we need um, just to seek for help from other people. Hey, we're burning out, please help us. Hey, our, our lakes are being contaminated, please help us. And um, it's definitely in our hands to start ad advocating and probably in 10 or 20 years when we are the head of the economy with this education that we're um, sharing right now, um, we can create new policies uh, and we can create better environments um, regarding um, the protection of the uh, environment to make a bigger and more impactful change. I think another question I think I have for the Asian Attitudes podcast, um, what exactly is unique about France's specific role in the Asian community protection? Because specifically in the region of Europe, do you think France has any unique traits or like the French community has anything more that they can do um, to its people that can that can actually empower and engender change within the Asian society or in society in general? Um, I think the, there is a specificity in France because of the history between France and the Asian countries like Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, etc. Um, and as we mentioned before, um, in France and maybe in a lot of countries, the Asian community is seen as the model man minority if like everyone is a very um, um, good workers, uh, they are discreet, they are nice, um, they smile and they don't say anything. And France see them see them like that. Uh, so as your question is about the protection of Asian community, it's quite difficult to answer for France because France protects everyone. <laughs> um, I don't see anything particular for Asian communities. But I think there would be there would be a need to just uh, recognize that there is a community, and it doesn't mean that this community is Asian. It's not French, um, because when you say there is a community in France, it would be criticized because it would be it would mean that Asian are not French, and that's one difficulty we have here. Um, but I think things change because there, these two or three last years, um, unfortunately, there have been attacks against Asians. But after these attacks, there have been a lot of um, protests from the community and a lot of initiatives. So I think that the community itself will protect itself and it begins to make things change. Uh, we have now a magazine, a podcast, um, several organizations, and soon some, uh, some organizations will fight against Asian racism. And with the COVID, we have a lot of uh, social media on, on this topic. So I think it could change, but by the people. <laughs> yeah, 
It sounds so good to hear about all these communities for French Asians specifically and your own like point of view and for representative of all these French Asians living in France and all over the world. So more on to personal um, detester-based questions. Um, with much of the recent U.S. news being centered around like race relationships, specifically in the BIPOC community, how do you think Detester uses their platform to speak on these issues? So Detester's mission is to promote racial solidarity among youth of color through like creative ways and intersectional advocacy. So at the heart of our work is the drive to foster meaningful um, dialogues around social and political issues, particularly the ones that affect people of color communities. And so we want to use this platform to speak about undertold stories. And as people of color, we are all affected by white supremacy. And so we want the tester to be this space where we help build allyship and collectively fight against racism. So although the spectrum of topics we cover might range, many of the articles and infographics that we um, upload center around issues that affect the BIPOC community. And those include colorism, police brutality, systemic racism, um, you know, and anti-Asian violence, um, and many more. Um, we have covered like medical racism from several perspectives from like, you know, the history of medical disparity to the discrimination of BIPOC patients and doctors mm -hmm. um, in the medical world. And earlier this spring, we made a three-part series that informed people about racial, racial inequalities in the U.S. and how COVID-19 disproportionately affected um, different people of color communities. And in the in response to the rise of anti-Asian hate crime, we, you know, created a list of resources for people to take action. And we are also organizing the Stand by AAPI conference um, that is going to celebrate this AAPI Heritage Month um, with Asian activists and interactive sessions to encourage our audiences to get involved. Um, we are also like working on an anthology that feature creative pieces by BIPOC youth that strive to uplift them and to amplify their different experiences. And the finished work is about to release in a few weeks and I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, I think all that is just super great to hear. I think one thing that I've tried to like note about these organizations, about Detester specifically, is that I appreciate how much uh, of a wide range that you guys cover in the sense that yes there are issues that are like gaining a lot of media attention but I think what youth initiatives do is they take it one step further so people will probably see the George Floyd death and they'll think about that and they'll have that straight up in their minds but what they don't have is probably enough information about medical discrimination as you were saying in the BIPOC community and that just helps a lot because given the news given all of like the like, support and protest that has gone on about different issues, I think the tester uses that voice and uses like the popularity, the attention that they're gaining for just so many more issues that need to be talked about. And I'm just so happy for that. And another thing that I just thought of um, mm -hmm. about like Asian stand by AAPI conference was that I am a frequent uh, Goodreads person and I'm on Goodreads all the time. 
And one thing that I really, really liked was that I was following one of my favorite book reviewers, and they had a um, Asian um, Asian Writers Month where they basically just read all of, like these A A I P I no Asian <laughs> books, and I thought that was just so touching, and I wanted to join along. So, just another thing that I thought people are doing that is so uplifting. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like as youth of tomorrow, we have a sense of agency that we need to, you know, put our voices out there, um, not be afraid to um, different ideas, and we're being open to change. Yeah. So, what is the major takeaway that you want people to have from these posts? Mm-hmm. Educating yourself, like through infographics on social media is like only one small step to increase your social awareness but like it shouldn't be a replacement for genuine allyship and activism like even though the bite-sized information is digestible and really easy to access you need to recognize that there is only so much content we can fit in a 10 slide post and when we do research on topics to prepare for the writing we read a lot of sources first to educate ourselves, but when we have to put it in the slides, we have to condense the information due to the limited space. So I think it's important for people to just go beyond social media and find different ways to take action. So in many of our posts, we include action items for audiences to become more engaged in the cause. And you should take the time to check out those resources sign petitions. Donate if you can, but I think many of our audiences are students, so there are also many ways that you can become involved without um, donating, such as participating, you know, in protests, volunteering at the nonprofits, and contacting your local politicians, or sharing anything um, to help others educate themselves. And you can also read more about the issue, we um, include our sources in most posts, so you can you know look up, Google it, and read about them. Yeah, I think one thing that actually like personally that I have experienced with these posts is I'm really thankful for that like different types of action because it's very mm-hmm. easy to just read a post and just mm-hmm. and see that and then not do anything about it, but it takes another like step in order to actually organize these things in order to do and sign petitions and um, write more, use your voice. And although me being in Taiwan has kind of like regrettably, maybe not as active as I would like to in terms of physical like protests or going out or actively using my community because um, some of these issues are more Western based, I would say, especially in terms of BLM. But one thing that I try to note is that um, even in Taiwan, I was doing a bit more research and I found out that there was actually two or three BLM protests in Taiwan as a whole. And they were all organized by um, bilingual or international schools as well. And that just made me so happy. And kind of, I was, I was like so upset because I missed these protests as well. But it just really uplift me because even though I am in Taiwan and farther away from these issues as I would like to be. Um, it makes me happy to see that there are still people in my community in Taiwan who are using their um, voice and being active in these issues. 
yeah that's definitely really inspiring to see like how you from like different parts of the world come together and um jointly advocate for the same cause and i've also like seen many news about how there are organizers in other countries who are um you know forming protests and um different kind of action call for action um for the black lives matter movement and other movement as well yeah and like and i know like you said many of the issues um that are being um projected are mostly kind of in the western bubble and at the tester i think one of the things we try to um expand and grow from is to um move away from just focusing on maybe american issues and like um those in the western world so like just going out of the western bubble um and that's like our next step yeah and i totally support that and i think that's so awesome because um it's just so important for youth around the world and i'm sure we all know that um Mm -hmm. people are capable and what they need is just more information, more ways of action, and see that happening. So, um, finally, to what extent do you think the youth in the U.S. play in roles such as activism and progressive policies? So, I think young people have definitely been a driving force behind a lot of progressive changes in our current, you know, social and political system. We are taking action to push for political reforms and effective solutions to fight injustices um, from gun violence to systemic inequalities to climate change, um, just to name a few of the causes. And many youth have the obligation to fight climate crisis because our generation and future generations are the ones who will be impacted by the consequence of climate change, not those who are currently in power and making legislative decisions. So. It's critical for younger generations to be socially aware and like informed and have the agency to build like a better society. Um, in the pre-pandemic era, I was one of the hundreds of thousands of students who participated in student-led climate strikes and protests against, against gun violence in the US. So in the aftermath of um, the 20. 18 tragic gun shooting in a high school in Parkland, Florida. Um, I don't know if you know about it, but student activists like David Hogg and Emma Gonzalez founded student organizations um, such as March for Our Lives and Never Again MSD to advocate for policy changes and gun control legislation to um, prevent gun violence in the U.S. These student leaders are so inspiring. They represent the lens of young people who have experienced the trauma caused by um, the gun control issue. And as they demand for change through their grassroots power, they are also reshaping kind of youth-led movement. And then fast forward to the 2020 election, young people from across the US had a higher turnout than in the 2016 election. And their support for Biden, especially coming from youth of color, was crucial in the tight margin. Issues like 
racism, COVID-19 policy, and climate change were key influences that um, led millennials and Gen Z to vote for Biden instead of Trump. And this higher voter engagement just shows you how youth are becoming more powerful and that our voices matter. We are unafraid to publicize our voices, initiate provoking conversations, provocative um, dialogues, and mobilize change for a better future. Yeah, I totally agree because I think one unique thing that I've noted about Gen Z is that we are somehow very weirdly united. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's because of, that's probably because of social media and just globalization. But also one thing I've noted is just that possibly Gen Z and like the activeness that we have comes from our personal like experiences with the current status quo in the sense that we might be surrounded in communities that are more conservative, like underneath mm-hmm. parents that probably have different views about like like racism, climate change that you have to like speak out upon. So I think it's this fact that Gen Z around the world feel the need to go out of their bubble and say more and speak more against current um, prejudices that they're facing against like I don't know ignorance in their communities as well because I have had times where I have tried to explain to my parents certain concepts and it is just very tiring and I know for a fact that I am not the only one who has experienced that and has to like explain at family gatherings you know basic human rights but we're not going to go there today so (laughs) I just think that one unique thing about youth is that we're just so driven and we are not afraid to use our voice and speak up to current um injustices that have happened for years and years. Yeah, I can definitely attest to your experience with like adults may not understand some of the um, movements and like ideas going on. And I feel the need to explain to some of like my relatives um, about movements and sociopolitical issues. Um, It's also a way for me to learn as I explain to them and I totally agree with you that social media and the internet has brought the younger generations together in a more unified way. Um, and because the share of ideas between different Gen Z in various countries have contributed to this um, very diverse dialogue. For example, in the tester, we have audiences from I think all continents and so you have all these ideas that you are able to interact with so you are not just looking at what's going on in your community but you're also looking at bigger world issues like for example as I um, talk to other members of the tester I learn about their perspective on issues um, that are in their country that I may not be aware of and so I read more about it, I do my research, and in that process, I'm learning. I'm also um, making myself be open to all these change. And with that, I'd like to draw like a conclusion to this wonderful episode. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Regina, thank you, Melanie. Your voices have been very, very helpful and very, very informative for issues that I didn't know existed in such a wonderful depth. So with that being said, thank you guys for coming. It's been a pleasure.